You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Welcome, family, friends, fans, and foes. It's time once again for Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling. I am your host, Casey Corbin, and thank you for joining me this week on this journey that we call life. Hey, folks, before we get into the show this week, why don't you remember to hit us up on all those social media things that we all do every day with our fingers and our eyes and our ears and, you know, like on the old Twitter, uh, hit us up at TNWPod. On Instagram, Talking Wrestling Podcast. On Facebook, Talking Wrestling. And at Gmail, send us a Gmail if you need be, talkingwrestling at gmail.com. Folks, what can I tell you? Thanks for listening to last week's episode. If you listened to the, the last one, you might have noticed there was no start to it. That's because we sort of did it in two parts. We did uh, the second part, and then we went to do the first part. But then we, meaning me, forgot to do the first part and sent it in just by itself. And uh, so if it was a little weird that you didn't get all your social media dates or social media sites, you know, well, you got them this week. And not only that, did you get that this week, you got something extra this week. Let me tell you. You know, June 1st, Napanee, Ontario, House of Hardcore is coming to Canada, and you know, Talking Wrestling is a sponsor, and uh, this week, I sit down for a good interview on the telephone with uh, the House of Hardcore founder and uh, owner and one of their best wrestlers, the innovator of violence, or ACW original Tommy Dreamer is this week's guest. So press pause, grab yourself a drink, and then come back and listen to this because this interview is not one that you want to miss. Enjoy. All right, Talking Wrestling fans, thanks for joining us in. We got a special episode here today on Talking Wrestling. A special guest with me right now, the innovator of violence, ECW original, Tommy Dreamer is on the phone with me right now. Tommy, thanks for calling in. How are you? I'm doing good. Enjoying the nice weather finally. Oh, it's, it's it's great now that finally the nice weather is here, you know, so it just makes everything easier. It's so easier to get to a road gig when you have a road to drive on and not a sheet of ice, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> we'll just uh, start from the start, because, you know, you're a legendary uh, professional wrestler. Um, you know, you've had quite the stellar career. How did you get into it? Were you a wrestling fan growing up? Well, the biggest wrestling fan from the first time I ever saw it, I was hooked. It was actually... My father is a big sports guy, just like myself, and uh, we would watch the Rangers, and it was actually the Rangers versus the Canadians, and the game was snowed out in New York, and this was back when you had only a handful of channels, so instead they showed wrestling from Madison Square Garden, and here came Bob Backlund, and I was, he was wrestling uh, Bulldog Brower, and I was just next level, like screaming, to my father, what is this? <laughs> and I was hooked. And then he brought me home one day a wrestling magazine with a picture of uh, Dusty Rhodes, all bloodied up. And I just couldn't get, you know, that was before 
that thing called the internet. It was that wrestling magazines were your internet. Yeah. And I just couldn't get enough information and just kept searching and searching and more wrestling magazines. And my father was a school teacher. He took me to, during uh, his spring break, he took me to see a show in uh, Florida Championship Wrestling. And I saw Dusty Rhodes wrestled, and I was just, I knew at that moment in my life what I wanted to do, and it was be a professional wrestler. That is so amazing, because you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the internet back then was all those Victory Sports series and Bill After magazines. And then I would even buy the, the second-rate wrestling magazines, like Wrestling Eye. That was, you know, it was like, these weren't the, the good wrestling magazines, but they were like, you know, they were okay and uh they're talking i wrestling review wrestling review wrestling main event oh yeah especially those ones their top tens never matched or agreed with any of the pro wrestling illustrated or the wrestler which i always sound funny but uh yeah i was uh, i was consumed by wrestling magazines as well you know just quite insane but i've never been to madison square garden for a wrestling card so i can't imagine what that's like i've only been there once for a hockey game and uh, I didn't feel comfortable because I'm a diehard New York Islanders fan. So uh, I wore a hoodie that said New York, but it had an Islanders logo on it because I didn't want to be mistaken. So if everybody saw New York, I thought they'd just leave me be, you know, because I was terrified of, like, I get heckled at Toronto Maple Leafs games when I wear my Islander jersey. I can't imagine what it's going to be like in New York City. How old, how old, how old was are I? you? Oh, I'm I'm, uh, no, I'm I'm 44 right now, going on 45. Oh, okay, so we're relatively the same age. Yeah, dude, that was big heat back then. Islanders, Rangers. I mean, I grew up a diehard yeah. Ranger fan. Hockey, I'm very much. I'll watch any game as well, but I'm a diehard Ranger fan. But one thing, you know, you have to hate the Islanders. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. They I had don't... those damn dynasty years. <laughs> I know. It's great referring to yourself as a dynasty until my friend pulls out the old. Well, Dynasty is one of Kiss's worst albums ever. And I'm like, shut up. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> it's funny because I refer to my brother's a Rangers fan. And uh, I, I refer to call them New York. I call them the Manhattan Rangers. And he always, he's like, shut up. You know, but uh, what a venue that is. Like, whenever I go to certain venues, I can sit there and I can think about the wrestling cards that are in the venues. And then I think about, wow, like, I went to the uh, Pontiac Silverdome for a Detroit Lions game one time, and I was sitting in the nosebleeds, and I'm like, I could watch, I could watch Hogan and Andre from up here. It's not that bad, you know. <laughs> yeah, and my third, maybe seven rows from the ceiling, or uh, I was at a Kiss concert in Albany one time, and just before the concert, I'm t- with a bunch of buddies, and we're Kiss fans, so we're also wrestling fans, and I was like, you guys know that this is the Knickerbocker Arena, right? Like it says Pepsi One, but don't be fooled. We know what happened in this arena. It's the greatest Royal Rumble of them all. Well, it used to be the greatest, but now the greatest is the greatest, I guess. But, you know, so I was excited for that. And, uh, of course, Madison Square Garden, you just think of Superfly and you just think of Bruno and you think of uh, Bob Backlund and, of course, the rest of the first WrestleMania. So Yeah, a lot of uh, amazing events have happened. And that's kind of how, sadly, I think I've been to, I've been to every baseball stadium uh every there's a bunch too that no longer exist and i've been to uh i started going to a bunch of hockey games as well and i'll be like man because i've wrestled in every one of these arenas yeah but i never got to see them in you know with the other sports that they host and i truly uh, enjoy it and i went to uh last year went to detroit game you know closing out 
uh, their arena. Mm-hmm. And it was funny just where they had all the VIPs and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's where we eat catering as wrestlers. And, <laughs> you know, they had, they had security that you could not go back to what we would have our you know, dressing rooms. And there was just people like lining up there just for a chance that the door would swing open and they'd see a hockey fan and a hockey player. And I was like, man, I, you take for granted how much you just walk in and out of these places when you're there. Yeah, yeah, I can, I like, I can't even imagine that. I remember we would always try to sneak into concerts or try to backdoor our way in any sort of event. My friend Chris, who's been on the show, he's actually uh, done it to many wrestling shows. He just walks around a building till he opens up a door and then just walks in, and then somehow he's backstage in the mix of things. And uh, he did it one time in Hull. And all of a sudden, one of the Hebners came out of nowhere, and they're like, does anybody know where we can get, find some beer? And he was like, I know where you can find beer. And next thing you know, he's on a car ride with uh, Dave Hebner going to get beer for the boys on a Sunday afternoon matinee show in, uh, in Hull, Quebec, uh, which he, you know, he milked that for everything it was worth. Got to hang out backstage, got to sweep the ring, right. you know, do as much as he can. Now, uh, of course, you're known mostly... For ECW, I think that uh, is uh, probably you'll you'll always be connected to ECW. I think that's fair to sure. say. Um, with the Dudleys going in the Hall of Fame this year, and uh, you know you getting prominent mention in their speech, which was fantastic to see. And not only that, that Dudley speech was, you know, the best way to kick off the uh, Hall of Fame, which I love every year. Very emotional and very entertaining as well. Do you think there'll be any other? ECW originals or guys that are truly associated with ECW that'll go in the Hall of Fame someday? Uh, Besides Paul Heyman, obviously. But, you you know, know, I would say Paul Heyman. I would say Rob Van Dam definitely deserves it. And the guy who doesn't get enough credit for changing the industry, uh, Sabu. Yeah, I totally agree with you. When everyone, Sabu was the first to use tables that was commonplace and you know, his style, it was so revolutionary. I just think he gets lost in the mix, but Sabu is definitely a Hall of Famer just because of his uniqueness, as well as, you know, for a long time, he was the glue that held ECW together in the early stages of ECW. You know, he was the main event guy. He had this amazing cult following. He was just so different. Mm-hmm. And what he did in Japan, even when uh, we were in WWE, I mean, he had a really... He was so unique. He had a really, really good showing for himself against John Cena. And, you know, then they wanted him to talk. And remember me and Paul, they were just like, don't make him talk. Don't make him talk. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, once he spoke, Vince was like, my God, why is he talking? He was like, because you said he was. You told it to. Yeah, you, that's so, why you had a mouthpiece for him in uh, in ECW, no? Yeah. Well, that was Paulie all the time. And then Bill Alfonso. I but definitely agree with question, you. I think guys like that would definitely... Raven, Sandman, it was an ECW all the same. They all deserve it. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's totally, like, you know, I don't see why there shouldn't be, you know, in that era, ECW was the most influential thing in the Monday Night Wars. You know, it changed escape before the others followed. And then, of course, your the roster was completely raided by both federations and, and by both of the one and twos. And technically, there should be an ECW uh, wing, as far as I'm concerned, in the Hall of Fame. You know, because, uh, 
you know, yourself should be in there. Raven should be in there. The Sandman should be in there. Like, Sandman was drinking beers before Stone Cold was, and uh, that became his gimmick. And, you know, there's just so many things that were borrowed and taken and stolen from ECW that, uh, you know, if you can't put in, you know, you can't put in the institution, you know, you definitely should put in more of the guys that led to this ECW leading the way in uh, new wrestling, like which would be the hardcore style of the late 90s. Well, first, I think we need an actual... Hall of Fame? Physical Hall of Fame. Yes. Because I've been to Canton for football. I've been to actually all of them. Uh, I've been to upstate New York for baseball. I've been to Springfield for basketball. And I don't think I've been to... I thought I was at the Hockey Hall of Fame. There's a Hockey Hall of Fame. Toronto? Yeah, Toronto, yeah. Yeah, I was there. So we do need a physical building. And if you know, you're going to go how they do it, I really do feel... I love how... The Baseball Hall of Fame has it where you could kind of, you know, you walk through, it takes you different times, different levels. I think they should do something like that, too, where they would have, you know, even from the territories uh, to the men and women from, you know, time past to then when the business kind of tallied off and there were no more territories then to, you know, ECW, WCW, WWE, and, you know, kind of that's it and they should also have you know a new japan all japan wing because oh, yeah. the, you know those those companies been around for a long long time <clears throat> but i like to get a physical actual building i think the wrestling fans would swamp to it i loved uh when they had wwe new york that was one of my favorite things i would have actually wanted to be a full-time host there kind of how if you and go old school with the movie raging bull when uh, robert de Niro was the ex boxer who was always just at the he had his own restaurant telling jokes and, yeah you know that's what i kind of wanted me to be because it was i loved WWE new york it was it was so close to my house it was they would just call me whenever they would have you know fill in they'd pick me up in a limo drive me to you know the place feed me give me whatever i want and then drive home and i'd be watching you know paid to watch the show but i would love to be like i don't know the, the curator of the hall of fame just uh be an awesome, awesome job. Oh, I think I think it would be fantastic. Yeah, like you said, like Raging Bull and Rocky Balboa was the same thing. Like, hey, you want guys want to hear a story? You know, oh, yeah. he just <laughs> come up and let me tell you about that painting. And it would be fantastic. Like, I remember uh, I went down to the Carolinas one year for a golf vacation, but my buddies were all big NASCAR fans, so we went to uh, we went to the Darlington Four Hundred, and we ended up going to the NASCAR Cafe for dinner. Now, inside of it was the regular restaurant, but on the outside concourse, you walked around the entire restaurant, and it was a, in a museum, and it was fantastic. It was like, I don't know if there's a NASCAR museum anywhere, but in this restaurant, it was a total museum, and then you took the museum experience, and then you went inside, and then, you know, uh, had your chicken fingers. Right. I thought it was so well done and well put together. I was like, there's nothing like this in Canada, like... Maybe you had a plan in Hollywood back then, but just not the same. And, uh, yeah, if wrestling could even, you know, come together and do something like that, that would be fantastic. Because, But I've also know, been to the Swimming Hall of Fame in Fort Lauderdale. I just remember that. The Swimming Hall of Fame. I didn't... <laughs> not, <laughs> not the best uh, Hall of Fame to go to, but I had time to kill, and I was like, yeah, let's go check it out. Oh, yeah. I can't, well, like, I can't even imagine, like... Obviously, you have all your 
you know, Dan Spitz statue, and uh, and I can't even imagine what else you would have, you know, unless well, Michael Phelps obviously now, so but uh, that would be insane. The swimming uh, is water polo even represented at the swimming uh, Hall of Fame? I have no idea. Dude, I don't remember. This was during the ECW days, and they <laughs> had time it. to kill, and I was just like, hey, let's go. Yeah, it's always good to get out. I, I, I encourage you to go to any museum in any town if you're on tour and you have time. Yeah, because wrestling fans will go to, like, you know, like WrestleMania weekend now, because yeah, you were just down there. Uh, did House of Hardcore run a, run a show during WrestleMania weekend this year? Yes, we did. We had a, a really, really huge show. Uh, we did it one hour after NXT ended, and... Uh, we were, it was jammed, it was great. That would have been like, uh, probably like 11 o'clock midnight show almost, I would guess, right? It started at 11.15 Central, and uh, you know, it was cool, and when you're talking about people or for the Raw main event, I mean, sorry, for WrestleMania event, where they go, people were tired and all that stuff, I was just, I don't uh, agree with that because I had... The semi-main event was me and Billy Gunn versus uh, Killer Elite Squad. Yeah. And they were into the match. And then the main event was where I finally crowned uh, my Twitch heavyweight champion, television champion, who was Willie Mack. And the place came unglued for Willie when he won. So it was really, really cool. And that's why, you know, I will be... It was because it was probably 2.30 in the morning when that happened. Yeah. And a lot of fans, you know, had come off of... NXT and, and a know, full day to the venue. Yeah. And they were into it. So that's why I'm always like, as long as you supply yeah. great quality matches and great intrigue fans, wrestling fans will be into it. Just like, you know, when you had the greatest Royal rumble, it was on, you know, 12 in the afternoon and everyone, you know, was, was into it because we're wrestling fans. I yeah, guess, I, you know, the main event of WrestleMania, I just don't think people were emotionally vested into it. No, I agree. And it's like WrestleMania, like WrestleMania might be the staple that holds everything together, but um, there's the industry has built that weekend up to much more than WrestleMania because WrestleMania, like, it's the hub. Like, WrestleCon is now there, and then there you have uh, the Ring of Honor runs their show. You're running your show. Other indies are there running shows. Podcasts are doing podcasts. Like, it's mindless how much there is to do that weekend. Like, there are people that go down for that weekend. They don't even take in WrestleMania. <laughs> well, to me, if you're a wrestling fan, it's, it gives you something to do. And, you know, for me and, you know, even for you, it's just showing an alternative. You know, that's my whole vision is just giving an alternative product uh, to, you know, the current landscape of professional wrestling. You know, like we said earlier, I, you know, I grew up during the territories where I could turn on any channel, watch any, you know, wrestling. And then if guys showed up in WWE, I totally was like, oh, I know that guy. He is, you know, so that's kind of how I go about it. And uh, so, and and there are, there are so many options right now, which is really, really cool for, for the wrestling fan. And that's why WWE fuels the industry, but there's a lot of outside venues look hard enough uh, to get, you know, alternate products. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and that's true too. Like, uh, you know, because there was for the longest time, you know, the territories were gone, and it was just the the one and two, and then ECW came in. But now I feel like, and I tell this to friends because 
I have a lot of friends that are like, you still watch wrestling? I'm like, I never stopped. And I tell them, like, you don't understand. Wrestling right now is better than it's been in a long time because of all the options of everything that you have to take in. Because now the indies, there's been a rise of the indies. And, um, you know, there's so many really great indie wrestling promotions that, uh, you know, are sort of feeding the fans what they want. Because, you know, WWE can't feed everyone as much as they think they can. There's people that still want Attitude Area Wrestling and, you know, WWE doesn't provide that. But then you might find an indie promotion that, you know, I went to a card called Super Kicked in Toronto the other night. And it was all pretty much, you know, table spots, chair spots, ladder match. Not a lot of wrestling, but a lot of huge spots and, uh, and a lot of finishes during mid-match and stuff like that. And, it, and that's fine and all like that, but I just think I, you know, I'm always one for options. Uh, the more options you have, the better, the better, you know, the better it is. And uh, competition's healthy for everyone. Absolutely. Now, when you said uh, when guys would come in from territories in the WWE, like, uh, you know, I remember when Demolition came in, immediately, I know that he tried to cover it up, but uh, Smash's tattoo was uh, his eagle tattoo on his arm. Uh, I specifically, like right away, I was like, well, that's Crusher Khrushchev right there. He's covering up his tattoo, you know, and I remember the Blue yeah. Blazer. It's just like, okay, that's that mullet screams Owen Hart. Like, and he wrestles like Owen Hart. There's no way you're not going to tell me that's not Owen Hart. And I used to be the same, like, but they, WWE would always like repackage somebody and give them a different persona. How important is the persona uh, to get a guy over in wrestling? Uh, I think you have to find out who you are first. And a lot of people don't know. I know for me, you know, I was your prototypical 90s baby face, good looking, great body. And, you know, that's what I thought I had to be. And I was having a hard time getting over. And, you know, it was Taz who went to Paul Heyman and said, hey, this kid's tough. And he goes, trust me, I dump him on his head every, you know, because we trained together. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he kept on getting up. And that's how Paul came up, the Sandman caning angle. And then, you know, there's just different different people along the way. Terry Funk, Mick Foley, you know, Terry Funk was like, you know, hey, grow a goatee, it'll make you look tougher. You got a baby face. And, you know, I realized I did not have to be what, I guess, society tells you you have to be in the world of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, uh Back then, you know, we would all know, hey, here's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, but he came to the ring with a dragon or Dusty Rose and the Polka Dots. Yes. You know, it was still your talent really shine. And I feel that not so much your gimmick, but your persona will find you. Uh, I think a great example of that is uh, Kevin Owens. And I always would tell him, you know, because he worked with me a bunch of times and he always knew who he was, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, that persona hung true and he's the same person he was on the indies as opposed to, you know, in the WWE. Yeah. So stuff like that. Yeah. He actually, uh, I think even on the indies though, he had a, you know, his move set was way more, um, was way more than he uses in the WWE. Um, you know, they called him Mr. Wrestling for a little bit because he used, he had so many moves. It seemed like, when you watch that Kevin Steen matches as compared to Kevin Owens matches, but, um, but he's still, to me, I'm a heavy set guy. 
So I like the heavy set guys that are really good. And he's been the best heavy set guy in a long time, you know, where it's just yeah. like, you know, he, this guy can really go, you know, he, I always compare him to, uh, uh, Jerry Blackwell, but a lot lighter, but you know, so that's who he reminds <laughs> me of. Thinner. And a lot thinner. I couldn't believe Jerry Blackwell was when I finally, you know, I remember him too from AWA. Yeah. I was like, he was billed as this monster. And then when now, you know, I go back and watch him, I was like, Jerry Blackwell was probably about five foot eight. And, you know, though he was, you know, 400 pounds, but he would always throw a drop kick and his splash and his, you know, splash in the corner, mm-hmm. his clothesline. He, he was, he did have explosiveness in his movements. Yeah. Like he always, uh, like as a kid, I could not believe, like, this guy was like a fridge, and I couldn't believe he could move himself around the ring like that, you know, because I'm looking at my dad, and uh, my dad doesn't move that quick, you know, and my dad's half his size. So, right. you know, uh, so I always liked Jerry Blackwell as a big guy. Uh, Bam Bam, of course, obviously, he comes to mind as well. So, And you you had you probably run, run-ins with Bam Bam and ECW, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, Bam Bam was amazing. Uh, it was really, really happy to become his friend as well as work with him you know he was just an incredible big man bully ray especially when he first started in in ecw he was really big and uh you know would also do a running tope over the top rope unfortunately i was the one who let him catch him all the time (laughs) but you know he was another very very amazing big man and still still amazing to this day like I saw him last uh, last May, uh, Ring of Honor War Worlds in Toronto, and it was great because every, everybody's chanting ECW, and uh, he stops them and says, you know, if you're going to chant anything, chant ROH because this is the promotion now, and he put the promotion over, which is great, and so people start chanting that, but um, it's amazing that people still know the, the what's up and the... And the like, they know the Dudley's moves, and he's in a six man, so he's working with the people. All of a sudden, he gets on the top rope, and the, he's telling the guy to put the guy's legs up for the what's up headbutt, and uh, you know the crowd's going nuts, and I love that because it's like here's something that's uh, 20 years old, and here we are 20 years later, and the fans are still craving it, and they still want it. You know, he's having good matches still, so uh, kudos Absolutely. to him. I think. Um What's different about how, you know, you talked about Jimmy Snooker jumping off the top of a steel cage. Mm -hmm. That was forever ago. And, you know, most of us can't remember some of the things we did yesterday, but stuff like the what's up spot or when I hit my pose and yell ECW or even today when I put a guy upside down in the corner, I do the trio. All I do is hold my hand up and everyone just starts chanting for ECW. Why? It's because, one, we always made it special. And... I don't want to say repetition, but rep- wrestling fans, I've the only fans that I've ever met or encountered that are similar are horror movie fans that in both those genres, those fans will remember things that you as the performer don't even remember. And it's just stuff that's just ingrained in your brain. But also in wrestling, they made everything special, you know, from the people's elbow. That was all during the Attitude Era. The people's elbow, the what's up spot was that yeah. commercial from, you Budweiser. know, uh, I think so. 
Was it Budweiser? What's up? Yeah, I think it was. No, Budweiser. I thought it was a soda commercial. Oh yeah, I believe it was. But yeah. but it's pretty funny that we don't remember what the commercial was, but we can remember that Bub and Devon do that because <laughs> we're crazy wrestling fans, and most people can relate to that. And uh, you know, even Scotty Two Hotties, the Worm, Rikishi's butt—they're all just signature moves. Uh, it still goes on today with John Cena's "You Can't See Me," but it is a lost art because I think now it's just so much to digest and so much to take in. I don't think people get into more people's catchphrases as opposed to um, their actual move set or you know moves that they hit, except for maybe the RKO out of nowhere, you know, but they yeah. don't scream RKO out of nowhere when it happens. No, they don't, no. But yeah, it's true, like, uh, catchphrases are a big part of it. And catchphrases, you know, in the, the Attitude Era, everybody had their catchphrases per se. But you're right, the, um, what, 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 once the match happened, you know, there, uh, you were waiting for certain moves to be hit so you could, you know, now the ref is more over on account, you know, one, two, sweet, you know, or... Yep. You know, counting to ten, and it's ten, ten, ten. The ref gets a lot of that stuff. the The wrestlers not so much, but you know, the fans go into business for themselves in a lot of uh, cases. And uh, how do you feel about that when the, you know, like when the fans try to hijack an audience, uh, you know, a match with uh, with beach balls or something like? Now I don't think that house uh, happens. That house of hardcore, but you see it though, uh, especially on the. The Raw after WrestleMania, where that the audience is so filled with smarks, I, or or when you're watching, you know Brock and and Roman the last match of WrestleMania, and all of a sudden there's an influx of beach balls going through the crowd, and Roman can't wrestle chance, and and they're not even giving the match the respect or the chance, you know, to let them do their jobs. I think that was in par the WWE's fault, and here's why. There's nothing wrong with the actual match. There was nothing wrong with the finish. Uh, Roman Reigns is a stud. The fact, one, that there was really no clear-cut, in a sense, babyface, so who are you going to cheer? And when they had Dana White, and I still say that this was planned by WWE, probably Vince and Dana White, because Dana White was there saying, mm-hmm. you know, the night before that Brock will return to the octagon and everyone's like, plus his contract not, you know, coming up. It was the same situation. And sadly, it happens a lot in wrestling. Uh, history repeats itself, but it repeats itself in a negative way. And it was almost like what happened with Goldberg and Brock. Um, Back in. Both guys were leaving. And this was almost like confirmed by everybody that, oh, this match, so why are we going to care about it? One guy's leaving, so we know the outcome of the match, and we're not too happy with the outcome of the match. So I think that's kind of why that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Me, I loved WrestleMania. I thought it was one of the best WrestleManias I've ever seen. I actually sat and watched the entire WrestleMania. Yeah. And I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, And, you know, when we also talk about, you know, fans getting tired, it was a longer event yes but i just think placement of the card would have probably had that a little bit better and i don't know if i would have went with that last i agree like like when i thought hunter and steph and uh, ronda rousey and um 
And uh, now I'm blanking on who Kurt. was about to say Kurt Jeepers. As if I could blank on Kurt Angle. Um, I thought that they would headline WrestleMania. Uh, that just seemed like the big marquee, the big name match. Um, and a lot of times, you know, you, Bruno always wrestled in the middle uh, at the Garden. And whenever I watched Saturday Night Main Events, Hogan was always on early. So I don't mind the title match going on like Randy Savage and Ric Flair in the middle. Because I thought the main event had the potential to be better. But Ronda was such a big question mark going into it as far as a fan point. You know, I thought that was going to be the last match. But when that match went on in the middle, that was my favorite match, by the by the way, of the WrestleMania. I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. And, you know, then Jan tells me a secret that, uh, you know, how often they rehearsed that match, the four of them together. I'm like, well, they ha- whatever. Whatever made it work, it worked. It was... I was so impressed with Ronda Rousey and how quick she was and how fast she was. And seeing Kurt back is a dream. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's one of my favorites of all time. And it wasn't like when he came back earlier in the year with the Shield uh, or when he last made his appearance and he had the Shield outfit on. This is like he came out and he looked like Kurt Angle and he looked like a million dollars. And it's just great to see him back at WrestleMania. And uh, that match was fantastic. But aside to the the main event, then with being Brock and uh, Brock in the main event with Roman, I thought the match was fine. But I actually preferred the cage match that they just did at the Greatest Royal Rumble because I liked the finish better. You know, when I watched it, I I thought like Goldberg's. You know, I mean, uh, I said uh, Brock's not even touching the floor. He's still in the cage. He's still wrapped up in the cage, right. and Roman's on the floor. How are they calling this this way? And I'm glad, and you know, it's and cool I'm, how they covered it up too. I'm glad they covered uh, it up. Interesting the way take. I would never have thought of Triple H and Stephanie being the main event, and then you talk about in hindsight, uh, WrestleMania one, which I was at, was Mr. T was a celebrity guest, and at that time there was no bigger celebrity, and you know he was in the main event with Hogan and Piper and Paul Orndorff, and mm-hmm. uh, match rate wise, I think Charlotte versus Oscar was the best match on the show. Yeah, and, it's fantastic. Uh, originally, I was saying going in, give AJ and Nakamura the main event to WrestleMania, but I don't think that match lived up to its hype. It was still a good match. Uh, I love the end result, and that's the beauty of WWE and what we were talking about before, of the difference of a character and the difference between, you know, those two guys faced off in New Japan were, you know, the main event of one of their shows, biggest show of the year, mm-hmm. and... In WWE, what are we all talking about? Nakamura's turn. And the match was good. It wasn't as good as their New Japan match. But here they go. And then, you know, the beauty of the WWE magic is we're talking about the turn of Nakamura and, you know, the ball shot as opposed to, you know, oh, what a great, you know, pure wrestling match that was. So it's that's a different type of storytelling that, you know, you get between WWE and New Japan and, you know, same like stuff like that. But interesting, I would never have thought about the Ronda... Ronda, Kurt, and it was it was a great match. Uh, Hunter, I knew would be the workaholic in that match, and but Ronda, it turned out Stephanie was probably the co MVP, and yeah. you know Ronda had so many people against her, and she just totally stepped up and did a phenomenal job. Yeah, I thought I thought Stephanie uh, her heel work was just fantastic. Like uh, especially where she ran around the uh, ring and swept her feet out from underneath her and Rhonda hit her face yep. on the apron and then Stephanie was back for the tag. I'm like, that's fantastic. That's just, 
that's tag team wrestling. You don't even see that in tag team wrestling these days, moves like that. That's, uh, you know, it seems like an 80s throwback move uh, that, uh, you know, somebody with uh, an evil tag team like the Hart Foundation would get away with or something like that. Right. And uh, I just loved it. And uh, again, with the Shinsuke turning, I remember watching it because the thing is, is as, as uh, a fan's fantasy book in their head all the time, it's like, uh, you know, we try to guess everything before it happens and uh, sometimes we're not uh, happy with the results because they don't match what we pre-booked in our head i think star Wars fans are the exact same and so watching this you know i was i wanted shinsuke to beat aj although i love them both i thought you know shinsuke has to win you know because who does it hurt more and then when shinsuke lost i was like sitting there i was like well they got to turn him heel you know, there's they, they, they can't, they, you can't do anything with them. You, you, they've already, like, he was already on the ropes the way they had used him previously, but then they let him win the Royal Rumble. So it's like, okay, you've given him a new life. Now, now let's do something better. And then, uh, you know, you watch him lose. You're like, oh my God, what? Where are they going to go? They have to, they have to turn. And I thought they were going to turn him heel the next night, and then it just happened right there. And then I was immediately happy. Okay, well, this is something that you can work with, you know, and uh, and develop more of a storyline, and and just saw the house show SmackDown cast on Monday night here in Ottawa, and um, yeah, Shinsuke and uh, and AJ were, you know, it, they weren't in the main event. I think they t- or they were uh, against each other in a tag match, but uh, fantastic. They have such good chemistry together, you know. They could probably tell three or four different stories. So um, I just want to see them keep feuding for a while anyway. So um, do you have a favorite opponent or feud of all time? Uh, it's got to be me versus Raven, just for the fact of how long I went, how many characters evolved yeah. from that, and how many people's careers really took off from that. You know, you had Dreamer and Raven, and you had Stevie Richards, you had Beulah, you had the Blue Meanie, you had Brian Lee, you had the Bruise Brothers, you had Kimono Wanalea, you had Francine, you had so many different characters evolve from that feud, and, you know, they all came out of it with, you know, really, really good careers, so. And, you know, the chair shot from hell as well, you know, <laughs> you, uh, you know, talk about creating moments. Not to be moments. done today, in today's uh, wrestling world, I feel you too. It's not gonna. You're not gonna see that ever again. But you know, I can close my eyes right now. And Nor I can, should you. I can see it right now. No, there's something about chair shots that I just, uh, you know, there's. Maybe I'm older and more mature, but you know, they they are unnecessary, uh, especially on the head. Like, you know, uh, you just think of certain moves. Like the concerto was uh, actually that was a pretty. Uh, one of those safer chair shots, actually, the way the Edge and Christian would do that. But, you know, you think back to some of those Mick Foley matches, and I'm like, how is that guy even walking around straight these days? You know, it seems like he's never been hit in the head with a chair. He, his, his mind is pretty sharp, so he's a, he does stand-up. So A lot the, of, uh, you know. There, let me explain one thing. There are people like Balls Mahoney, and yes, even Tommy Dreamer, you know, you said the chair shot around the world. Uh, I bent a steel chair over Raven's head. Bubba would bend steel chairs over my head, and I would bend steel chairs over his head. And we didn't know about the ramifications of concussions and all that stuff. No, no, that was, of course not. Fast forward, 
I've been hit. The last, I want to say, chair shot to my head like that was in, and there is an art to swinging a chair, and there is an art to not killing a guy. Uh, obviously, Balls Mahoney did not know that art, but Raven, when we did our match, our final match ever in Hardcore Justice, uh, Raven hit me with a steel chair, and the moment I made it made contact because I was handcuffed, kind of yeah. <clears throat> doing the same thing. The moment he made contact, I was already bumping. And when I tell you, if uh, the what was it, Kevin Nash, when he won the title and he just flicked what's his name and he fell to the floor, yeah. it was that non-impactful. So a lot of people, I remember when I did it, were like, "How could you take a chair shot to the head?" because I trusted Raven not to crush me. And I also knew I could protect myself by as soon as I make contact, I'm, I'm going down. So that kind of was the one. There was a few people who, who could deliver chair sites like that. And, you know, it is that too is a lost art. But today you shouldn't even take those risks of, a, you know, a chair shot because there is, there is no give. You know, trash cans, you still can take them. Cookie sheets. Cookie sheets are uh, fantastic. <laughs> They hurt. They make a lot of noise, and I have been busted open from a cookie sheet. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, I do. I love the noise of the cookie sheet, and it, they do. You, it, you feel it, but I don't feel it's going to give you, you know, brain damage or, or have ramifications. Every time a wrestler bumps, it's like being in a 20 or a 15 to 20 mile an hour car accident. So every time we bump, and if you watch, you know, a wrestling match, Guys, where we are trained to bump and get up, bump and get up. So, in at or especially if you're feeding somebody's comeback, you know you're going to be taking at least three to six bumps. So that's you're basically in six car accidents, uh, just feeding a guy's comeback. So uh, you know that I don't want to say it have ramifications on your brain, but I eventually will feel there'll be studies upon that because I don't think it's good for anyone to be in six car accidents oh, no. a day every day yeah i can i can like you know that and the uh even in the nfl like the impact that linemen hit each other is with such force that's why concussions are such a big deal now and even if you're not you know you can still get concussed even just by just getting smoked not even in the head like you know your head can snap back and whiplash and uh you can concuss yourself that way or just by falling on the ground it's uh they say you taste copper when you, in your mouth. You can taste like a, a copper taste. Uh, and then oh, yeah, that's trust a, me, I've had a lot of them. I had three in a week. Oh, my God. I can't. How are you today? Are you, today, are you functioning well? And are you, well, you still wrestle, so obviously, but, um, you know, you're doing fine? I'm doing pretty good. Sometimes short-term memory or I'll say something and Buell will be like, you just asked me that. And I'm like, shut up. I'm getting old. Oh, don't worry. You know? I, I'm like that, but that's because of pot. But you know, like you know, you've just asked. That wasn't us. my. That was never my vice. <laughs> no, well, luckily for us in Canada, it's going to be legalized this year, so I can stop living in shame. But uh, nice. but uh, yeah, so that's all right. My my can finally tell my dad. Um, uh, so yeah, so let's get well, let's talk about the House of Hardcore. Um, now, how many years ago did you uh, did you start House of Hardcore? I know you're on Twitch. I kind of follow House of Hardcore. I've seen a, I watched a few of the the shows on Twitch. I was very excited. the The tour that you brought to uh, the show you went to Australia with was just 
stellar. I thought the lineup was uh, amazing, and uh, but I'm a big young bucks mark, so uh, so I'm happy. Uh, yeah, I just think they're. My roommate is a wrestling purist, and he, that's what he calls himself. Uh, and uh, I let him move in with me because he had the network, so uh, he can pay half my rent, and and I'll get the network for free. So it works out that way. Nice. But he doesn't like the young bucks because he's constantly upset at how much they burn the referee. Uh, which uh, I said, you're being ridiculous. I guarantee you, there are refs that don't even care, you know. And sure enough, I had Jimmy Carderas on the show, and uh, I asked him. I said, "How do you feel about watching a Young Bucks match and how much they burn the ref?" You know, and he's like, "Well, the majority of the fans are there for them." And he goes, "So just give the fans what they want." He said, uh, "When he was done wrestling at WWE, he still refs uh, at indie shows." in around Toronto, and um, he said the Young Bucks came to town, and he got to ref one, he requested to ref for other matches, and they uh, they were cool enough to apologize to him before the match. They're like, we're really going to make you look like shit out there, bud. You know, and uh, and he's like, look, it, do what you guys do. I get it. I'll do what I do, and uh, we'll work it, you know? And I, I just, I like hearing that answer, you know, that... Uh, I agree 100%, and you can't be... You can't be a wrestling purist in professional wrestling uh, in the sense of because the rules don't and shouldn't apply to everyone. I'll give you, you know, I know WWE came up with a book uh, of their rule book, Mm -hmm. but the WWE doesn't ever have their rules applied to everyone. And and it's been the history of the WWE, if, if you talk about, you know, Seamus, when he bends a guy over the top rope and he gives the 10 strikes and everyone was counting, you know, you're supposed to break it on a five and here's a referee just letting it go. So you can't, but when you have an arena full of people counting or same with, if you go for, you know, in the eighties, the the dreaded 10 punches in the corner, Yeah, you're in the corner, you're supposed to break it in five. But when you have a sold out arena, you know, cheering for you, then you will, you know, you kind of have to let things slide. It's not a lot of people, and I'm one of them, you want to view it as real, but you can't have that bit of realism and that analytical, like, hey, if it's a foul ball or a fair ball, or, hey, it hit the post, or if it you know, went across the crease in, in hockey. Yeah. You can't be like that in professional wrestling. And I've been a Young Bucks fan from the first time I saw him. I wanted to make House of Hardcore a bigger success uh, because they were probably going to be the first act I would assign to a contract. Mm-hmm. I used them on all my shows until they signed, you know, an exclusive. And yes, when you, you have to sometimes, uh, suspension of disbelief when it comes to, you know, professional wrestling. And, and to tell you a funny story, one time when ECW went to Minnesota, we did Minnesota and we did Duluth and Paulie, had booked, uh, man, I want to say his name was Gary Darusha. He was a referee mm-hmm. in the AWA. And I want to say it was either him or his son. And I'm wrestling, and I'm running the show. And it was me versus Simon Diamond. And the referee starts counting me. And this was in ECW where, you know, it was Wild Wild West. And the referee's counting me, and he's like, if you don't get in this ring, I'm going to disqualify you. So I just <laughs> rolled under the ropes. I rolled under the ropes and rolled back out, and then I went and grabbed the timekeeper's bell, and I always, 
you know, from back in the day, I always put the timekeeper's bell on someone's penis, and then I ring the bell, I hit it with the hammer, and, you know, the crowd goes wild. I've been doing this since friggin' ECW. Mm-hmm. So I put the, the bell on Simon Diamond's penis, I turn <laughs> to the crowd, and I'm like, you want to see it? And they're all like, yeah. The referee goes and takes the bell. And I went <laughs> to him. I was just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> he goes, I'll disqualify you. I go, motherfucker, I'm your boss tonight. I go, you'll do nothing and get paid. And I go, I'm the boss, not Paul E. And he was like, I'm sorry. And then, you know, we went and did the whole match. But I was like, dude, you can't take your job too seriously. I know, you know, you're, you were from AWA and everything's cool. And you had different rules. And, you know, Vern Gagne was your boss. But trust me. We we do things differently here, and you got to adapt. As well as you know, I've had this. I had this argument once in WWE with with Scott Armstrong, who I'm great friends with, because everyone was so fearful of their job. We did an extreme rules match, and it was foot under the bottom, foot on the rope. Yeah, and I actually just had this same argument recently at an indie show, and I just I went to them, and they're like, "Well, if it's extreme rules, anything goes." Why would we stop it? And I said, number one, we work for ourselves in the sense of we control the rules. We control the rules. If you stop it, then the fans say, oh, it must be. And I said, and and honestly, UFC, no holds barred. Anything could happen. I go, if a guy literally got on top of a guy and started choking him to death where he could not tap out, the referee would stop in and say, hey, you're going to kill this guy. You have yeah. to stop. But anyway, in WWE, it, and they had to go all the way up to Vince McMahon, and Vince was on the fence. And I went to Vince. I was like, Vince, I can't believe we're having this argument because, like I said, everyone was afraid of you know, losing their job because at times WWE takes for some guys, like I said, it very, very literal, literally, and, you know, this is the rules, and they do fire men and women if, you know, they don't. Uh, apply by the rules or they'll stop a match, you know, in mid-match if someone messes up. And I go, Vince, we dictate what the rules are. This There isn't, like, you know, an official stat book. Yeah. Like, You're right. Foot on the rope breaks the count. And I was like, thank you. See you later. But it, that process took about three and a half hours to get done. It seems to me like even sometimes there was a match this year where it might have been extreme rules and... um People were upset because um, the ref would do a rope break. Um, somebody who had it with somebody in a submission, they get to the ropes. The ref does a rope break or says to break the hold. Um, you know, or it was a notice qualification, no countout match, or whatever. And uh, and you know, people are getting upset. They're like, "Why is the ref forcing the break?" I'm like, "Well, the ref is, still has to do his job, even though there's disqualification, no disqualification, no countouts. They still have to." In somewhat enforce the rules. Like I said, being a wrestling purist in wrestling is almost an impossible task. It's funny. I just hosted a, a, a t- I don't know if you guys have it in Canada, NLB Network, and uh, I just hosted, co-hosted a TV show called uh, MLB The Now or yeah. MLB Now, and the host Brian Kenny was he wants to do away with the stat of errors. And he showed a whole bunch of things where it was so clear, and they had myself 
uh, another famous baseball guy, John Heyman, and uh, a guy, Joe McGrain, who won a uh, World Series with the St. Louis Cardinals. And he had us all sitting there guessing if this was an error or a catch. And there was a guy straight, like, I mean, the ball just fell out of his glove. And I, we were all like, error. And they go, no, they viewed it as a hit. And he goes, he just wants to get, because baseball is very, you know, analytical, very, very stat-orientated. And he's like, let's just get rid of errors. He goes, because they're a useless fact. And he goes, you know, and he showed us six cases where they were all, where we all were like, error, error, error. Or, I mean, and they're like, nope, hit, hit, hit. And, but it would totally change the course of baseball if they did that. But that's, yeah. again, a sport that is real. That's a sport that you can do stuff like that as opposed to in wrestling. You, no way you can do that. And you'll never, never see that in any House of Hardcore show. You know, I mean, it's some matches we have, I have a commissioner guy on my show, Matthew Robles, who, and if you want to talk about the insanity of the United States and the United States government, uh, he really does have an autographed, signed 8x10 from our president, WWE Hall of Famer, Donald Trump, mm -hmm. and appointing him to a <laughs> fake position in House of Hardcore. <laughs> That's fantastic. And he gets all this heat by establishing the rules we just did at, at my WrestleCon show where a pile driver really is le illegal in the state of Louisiana <laughs> and you can't do it. And he basically, we had a, it was going to be me and Billy Gunn versus uh, Killer Elite Squad. And we had dubbed the match, you know, Bourbon Street Fight. And he came out and said, this match is going to be a regular tag team match if it, you know, it's not going to be hardcore. It's not going to be a bourbon street fight. If it is, we're going to shut the whole show down. You're not going to see who the champion is. So, I mean, it's instant heat, yeah. all this stuff. So, of course, the match goes out. You know, we go crazy. We pull out trash cans, all that stuff, ladders. And then awesome. in the finish, we went to load them up for a pile driver. And here came the commissioner. And he was just like, hey, this match happened. You know, you guys do a pile driver. It's, on, it's done. You're going to lose your promoter's license. You won't be able to promote anywhere in, in the in the in the world because that's like mike tyson if you lost your boxing license in one state every state has to recognize and you he's like i'll shut it down he also said if you hit me i'll be you know your company's done and i was like you know i'm in a quandary i had to match one all this stuff and then billy gunn was like hey you can't touch him but i can kick him in the in the gut game the famous or the place exploded and then i went to cheese greatest head and then here came killer elite squad they took the victory away, but that drama and that we're establishing rules is to me what makes wrestling great because you have the good guy, you have the bad guy, you have all this other drama going on and on. And, you know, but the whole establishing rules in House of Hardcore, mm -hmm. I have rules all the time, but you cannot in professional wrestling establish a, a clear set of rules because it just, it cannot happen in any organization yeah it's gonna vary it it's, just, yeah it's gonna vary even from organization to organization even a punch a closed-fisted punch is considered illegal in professional wrestling oh i was like it seemed like forever tape fists were a tape fist match until hunter right. started taping his fists on a regular basis and I, I guess that's allowed now but there was like you know i remember as a kid I preferred the NWA cage match to opposed to the WWE cage match. 
because um, I never understood the idea of like if you're going to settle in the cage, why are you trying to constantly get out? Uh, whereas they're settling in the cage, the pin and the, the ref is in there to count the pin, and that's it. Otherwise, it's anything goes in the cage. I think that was the psychology of the, I mean, the, the essence psychology of the cage was, especially in the NWA and early WWE was always due to outside interference. Now the guys can't get in to help mm-hmm. you. Now you're screwed. Yeah. And for psychology, I'm the heel. I want to get the hell out of Dodge here because I don't want to get, you know, the base eight to get my ass. Yeah. And I hated where it would always be, you know, towards the end, like, oh, we're going to have a steel cage. Why? Why not? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's just the, the marquee event at the end of it all. Will there be a steel cage in Napanee on June 1st? No. You know, no. Freaking hard it is to get a steel cage <laughs> uh, nowadays. Yeah, I'm like, I'm sure we, I there's a steel a- cage match, me versus Matt Hardy. One, you got to take an intermission uh, during the show to set it up. There's not a lot of people who actually know how to do the cage. WWE does a great job, but it's very, very hard to get through, set up, and, you know, with. I don't have the WWE no. staffing. I don't have the WWE finances to do it where, you know, they could hang the cage and lower it. And, yeah. you know, those those guys do put up a cage in a commercial break. It's amazing. So so uh, what do we have coming uh, on June 1st in Napanee, House of Hardcore? Uh, who's all coming? And uh, is the card uh, formed yet, or do we just know who's coming? No, I'm actually going to probably start announcing matches uh, this week. I usually like to announce everything on my social media, you know, traffic-wise, Mondays mm-hmm. and Tuesdays. Yeah. Uh, myself, Billy Gunn, uh, will be there. Willie Mack, my television champion, if he's still going to be there. Uh, if he's not going to be there, he'll get a rematch. Uh, if he's not the champion, I mean, he'll get a rematch against, I uh, have no clue who he's wrestling. Because when you're doing this, I have my May 18th show in Massachusetts mm-hmm. debut. I have my May 19th show back at the arena. Yes, I have television, but it's I don't have. Uh, we're on every Wednesday at twi- uh, nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Twitch, but it's not like I don't say real television, but you know I don't have. As funny as it is, a lot of people don't even know what Twitch is, and, no, or that it's free and you could watch it, and you know it's if you have Amazon, you can watch it for free. Um, it's available just like the WWE Network across the board on every platform, you know, laptops, computers, uh, televisions, phones. So a lot of people don't even know what it is. So until you get that penetration, like, you know, Monday Night Raw. Yeah. So I just, it's hard to tell the stories that I want to tell. And I am trying my hardest. Uh, and, you know, these shows, this show eventually will end up on Twitch. Don't know if all of it will end up on Twitch because I want to make some stuff just special for the show in the arena there probably will be a Napanee street fight which I'll probably be in just kind of go that old school ECW uh, way yeah. to me wrestling is an escape wrestling is the greatest form of entertainment of all time and we'll uh, we're going to really tear it up once we uh, get up there and have a really really good show well I agree with that and I am looking forward to that show that's uh, June 1st in Napanee uh, you can get the tickets uh, off your House of Hardcore website, I believe. Yep, HouseofHardcore.net, as well as uh, unless we sell out, they should be 
available at the door, but uh, I have sold out a bunch of events, but I think, uh, you know, we should be able to accommodate everybody. Yeah, so uh, for those of you people, uh, not only in Napanee, in Kingston, Belleville, Peterborough, uh, Trenton, anywhere near Napanee, get your butts to this card. It's going to be fantastic. I could be going to Def Leppard and Journey in Toronto, but I'd rather take the journey out to Napanee and see the House of Hardcore, you know, just so I can get Billy Gunn to, to do a classic suck it, you know, because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I uh, every now and again you see, you, you know, you see the match with the old DX guys and, oh man, I used to, I used to love DX. I'd wear, I'd go to D, I go to bars and uh, wear DX shirts and guys are like, uh, you're going to get laid with that? I'm like, ha, huh, suck it. No, I'm not. I'm going home alone. I'm fine. You know, no. uh, you know, I, I tape raw tonight. It's okay. I'll be all right. So, um, <laughs> I'm excited to see Billy Gunn. I'm excited to see the, the squad. Yeah. You got quite the card coming uh and you got a good nice use of the locals that i know here from uh jan's chinlock wrestling um some, as well as angelina love from ontario fantastic you know, coming up there she hasn't been home in a long long time uh, you know happy and even like i told her yeah she works her ass off she's an original she's single mom tna knockout original tna knockout yep. you know before the divas the single knockouts. mom yeah. and being able to come home and she's uh you know probably gonna come uh go visit my family after the shows. Is that okay? I said, of course, you know. So, I mean, I love that that part of the business. And like I said, just giving an alternative. And uh, I've had great results and people going home. It was Vince McMahon who told me it's WWE superstars' responsibility to put smiles on people's faces. And it's kind of what I've been doing and just showing my vision of professional wrestling. So, well, I'm going to tell you. I'm looking forward to it. I know so many wrestling fans in Canada are looking forward to it. Uh, I'm glad to be. I'm glad Talking Wrestling has become a sponsor and uh, and is helping out in some sort of way or manner. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to it. It's a great way to kick off the summer with a super awesome uh, wrestling card and uh, something that uh, you know, as well as all the indies in Toronto, what they're doing and they're great and everything. It's nice to see one of the bigger indie promotions in the states. Uh, come up to Canada because a lot of you know like something like PWG they don't tour at all you know you have to go to LA to see them uh, you right. know it's great to see House of Hardcore will make visits and go see people and tour um, you know because you know y- you don't have to do that but you do and I appreciate and as a wrestling fan I appreciate that and uh, you know because not everybody can go to LA to see PWG or not everybody can go to you know wherever uh you know to the area that C CZS runs or or whatever right. you know it's uh it, it's it's I tell you it's really nice that House of Hardcore is coming to Canada and let alone Avril Lavigne's hometown um uh, in Napanee and uh really looking forward to it and thank you for sitting down with me and uh making this phone call and talking to me today Tommy I really appreciate it cool man enjoy your day thank you and thanks for uh, getting in touch and we'll uh we'll see you again june 1st at uh, house of hardcore um thanks a lot for all you fans out there uh thanks for letting us put a headlock in your ears uh with tommy dreamer i'm casey corbin thanks for tuning in to talking wrestling have a good great day bye now
Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 